Audrey and I had been married uh, about three years. And uh, man, we got to a spot in our marriage where uh, we weren't communicating clearly. We were fighting regularly and frustrated with each other. And, and things were tough. Like we had been married, just, it just had been three years. And, and things were challenging. They were tough. We were constantly struggling to, to figure out why we weren't on the same page relationally. We weren't on the same page and, and where we were going. And we were in a really tough spot. And so uh, we decided to get some help, and so we reached out to some friends of our parents and uh, asked them to give us some counsel. Uh, they were people that were incredibly wise, uh, spiritually wise, relationally, and so we reached out and said, hey, Audrey and I are wrestling right now. Would you mind counseling us? And so we started meeting with them uh, regularly and got some insights from them. And then uh, Audrey was working one night. She had this work meeting, and at this work meeting, she took a love languages test. So she comes home and she's like, hey, uh, I need you to take this test. And so I took this love languages test and uh, it was really, really fascinating as I took the test and found the results of this test. I found that Audrey and I are polar opposites. Like, and then we're like, well, I wonder if we're so opposite in this, what about the other? So we took a couple other personality tests and literally every test we took, we were on opposite ends of the spectrum. No wonder we couldn't communicate clearly. We were talking very different languages. But what we found in this, this love languages test is, if you're not familiar with it, the love languages test is the way that you feel loved. And so Audrey takes this test, and her top love languages are affirmation and quality time. So the way that Audrey feels loved is by affirmation, saying things, good things about her to her, and, and quality time. My love languages, the way I feel love, or acts of service, and quality time. But quality time for the two of us, again, very different understandings of quality time. For Audrey, quality time is like phone down, dedicated, look you in the eye, intentionally focused on our conversation. Quality time for me, if you're in my vicinity, we're good. <laughs> like as long as you're on the property, we're good. Like, that's, that's quality time for me. We're around each other. We're good. But Audrey's like, I need you focused, looking at me, intentionally listening to what I'm saying. Like, that's quality time. And then on top of that, her top love language was words of affirmation. My top love language was acts of service. And so we learned through all of this, through our counseling and through this, uh, this love languages test that we were trying to love each other the way that we were feeling loved. So I would serve the heck out of, like, I would clean the house, I would do the dishes, I would do the laundry, I would do all these things that I thought that she would love me to do and would make her feel loved. And she's like, that doesn't mean a thing to me. And she would tell me how great I am and, and how good I'm doing and I'm great at this. And I'm like, I could care less how good you think I am about stuff. And we realized that, that we we're speaking different language. We had to understand that things were challenging and we had to begin to communicate in a different way. I had to begin to share affirmative words to her. She had to begin to do acts of service that would help me feel loved. And so we were struggling and through all of it, we learned that although we had differences, we had to embrace the upside of our down situation. That's the title of the message today, Embrace the Upside of Down. 
embrace the upside, the positive side of down, negative, challenging situations. We're in a series today called The Divine Perspective. It's about seeing life through the eyes of Christ. If you don't have a divine perspective, then you're going to probably be uh, pretty focused on yourself. You're probably going to end up lacking empathy, right? We struggle when we don't have a divine perspective. We struggle to see how bad things can become good. But when we embrace Jesus' perspective, our lives are transformed. We learn how to turn the tables, and we learn how to embrace opportunities for growth in the midst of the adversity that we face. In a week one of the series, we talked about how uh, we need to put on the new self. Uh, those of us who have a personal relationship with Jesus, when we say yes to that relationship with him, he gives us a, a new self, and we're supposed to take off the old ways of living and put on the new ways of living. And last week, we talked about how it's important for us, if we're going to have a divine perspective, we have to begin to see beyond the mirror. We talked about selfishness and self-centeredness last week, and, and when you look at a mirror, the only thing that you see is yourself. We said what we need to do is we, we need to peel back that reflective coating on that sheet of glass, and we need to begin to see beyond the reflective coating and see through the glass to the people that are around us. We said last week that selfishness is deceptive, and the way that we combat selfishness is through service. And so this week, what I hope that you'll find is that you'll find ways to discover growth opportunities in life's challenges. That you'll discover growth opportunities in life's challenges. But that can be hard, though, right? I mean, how do you find growth when you've been rejected? How do you find growth when you feel like a failure? It could be maybe in your career, in a relationship. Navigating change in life, it's hard, right? Whether you're, you're moving to a new city, you're taking on a new job, you're moving into a new home, change is difficult. How do we find growth in the difficult situations? Battling chronic illnesses, debilitating diseases. They can raise questions about God's presence, God's healing and his purpose in the midst of our physical troubles, financial difficulties, job loss, overwhelming debt. They can test your faith in God's provision and his, in his ability to provide for your needs. Dealing with broken relationships or marital problems or betrayal even, they can lead to individuals to question God's love, his guidance, and his ability to restore and heal relationships. Wrestling with guilt, shame, or regret due to personal mistakes, to moral failures, or even missed opportunities, they can lead us to question God's forgiveness, to question the grace of God and his purpose in our lives. Dealing with the death of a loved one or experiencing significant loss, it can deeply challenge our faith. And it can cause us to, to lack trust in God's plan and in his goodness. Facing persecution, discrimination, or hostility for your faith, it can deeply challenge our commitment as believers, especially when the cost is high. Longing for something that, that's deeply important, like healing or, or reconciliation, or guidance, and not receiving that desired outcome, it can cause doubt 
and cause us to, to lack faith in God's timing and his process in our lives. It's in situations like these that it's important to recognize that these challenges, they need a higher power that we can give them to. It's in these types of situations that a spiritual inter intervention is needed to help us see the positive in these negative situations. And so for us we, that follow Christ, we turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul is, is writing a letter here to the church in Rome. And in verse, five, uh, verse 1 of Romans chapter 5, it says this. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That word, therefore, it means for that reason. Consequently, it means as a result of, right? So Paul, he's just finished chapter 4. And chapter 4 was all about the, the faith of Abraham. Verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. Talking about the faith of Abraham. Even when there was no reason, Abraham kept hoping. Hoping. And then Paul concludes chapter 4 by saying this about Jesus. He said, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Going into verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, because of Jesus, because he was raised to life, because he went to the cross, gave his life for you and for me, therefore, because of all of that, we've been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Verse 2 says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Because Jesus died, because Jesus was raised to life, we have been made right. Because of all of that, if we say yes to a relationship with Jesus, we can have peace. Paul's opening line, it says, having been made right, other translations say having been declared righteous. That means that everything that potentially separates us from God has been cleared away for those of us who believe in Jesus. That, that's what he's saying in this passage. He says that the door is open for us to have peace with God because, because of this. In verse 3, it says we can complain when we run into problems and trials. That's not what Paul said. He says... We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul, in this passage, he creates this flowchart connecting a series of claims of growth that as a believer, right, who doesn't want to have proven character? Who doesn't want to have hope in life? Paul here, he outlines for us a growth paradox, a, 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 a counterintuitive key to growth. He says, embrace adversity, embody perseverance, and watch as you grow. He encourages believers that hope will not disappoint us because it stems from the love of God that is poured out for you and for me. Paul's saying here, look, I know that life is going to give you some challenges, but when life has you down, there is an upside. 
There's something good that can come from a down situation. And that sounds great, Paul. I appreciate that. But that, it leads to some, some why types of questions. It leads to some how types of questions, right? Like in the middle of trial, in the middle of struggle, how am I supposed to rejoice in this? And, and why should I rejoice in this? These are the questions that we would ask when these trials, these challenges, these things come our way. And in verse 5 it says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Catch this word here. For, it's important, for we know how dearly God loves us. That word for here that, that Paul is sharing, he's using that word for to answer those potential questions, those why questions, those how questions. The why we rejoice is because of how dearly God loves us. The how we rejoice in those difficult, those trying circumstances is through the power of the Holy Spirit who fills our hearts. Again, verse 5. For we know, catch this word, know how dearly God loves us. Paul says that we can rejoice in the bad times. Why is this true? Because we know. When the trials of life come, the true Christ follower knows that God is actively working behind the scenes in their lives and is working to cultivate a resemblance to Christ. God is working to make us like Jesus. We are in a preparation process. Did you know that sailboats, when they were originally being created, when a shipmaker would go to make a sailboat, as he went to find the mast for the sailboat, he would go out into the forest. And as the shipmaker would go out into the forest, he would find this tree, and he would select this tree that was there that he thought would be great for the mast of the sailboat that he was beginning to build. And as he found that specific tree, he would go and he would clear out all of the other trees that were around it. As he cleared all the other trees that were around this one tree, it left this singular tree susceptible to all the storms, all the wind, all the challenges that the world was going to throw at this individual tree. But as this tree grew, as this tree matured, the strength was developed so that when it was selected to finally become a mass in a sailboat, the shipbuilder knew that this tree would stand strong on the ship as a sail was attached to it. When the storms of the ocean came, when the waves of the ocean came, the winds from the ocean came, the shipbuilder had confidence because he knew that there was strength in that mast. But the tree was never going to get that strength that it needed for its purpose unless all of the other trees that were around it were cleared out. The strength of the tree was developed in the storms of life. You see, I firmly believe that if you build your life on the unshakable rock of Jesus, you build your life on his teachings, then when life's challenges and when life's storms rise up, not only will you endure, but you'll discover a newfound resilience and a newfound power. And if you're not a Christ follower today, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here with us today. But if you're not a Christ follower, your perspective on the challenges that life brings, it's probably going to be a little bit different. You have a harder time seeing the upside of down situations. You'll probably see the obstacles that you face in life not as opportunities for growth. And for everyone that's listening today, Paul speaking to each of us here today. He's saying it's not an accident that Christ followers, that non-Christ followers, that, that anybody, people in general, face these 
overwhelming circumstances. He says it's not accidental that in the middle of these circumstances, something, something begins to happen to our faith. And this is one of those things. This is one of the primary things that God uses to strengthen and to build our faith. And it's one of the few things that we would actually sign up for. Like most people aren't going to come into this world and say, yeah, give me all the storms, give me all the challenges, bring them on. Typically, our human nature is to take the easiest route possible. We don't willingly choose to accept the storms. But oftentimes it's in the negative. It's in the unexplainable circumstances. The very circumstances that have the potential and the power to turn us away from God that we actually grow. God almost always, if we allow him, leverages to do something in us to make our faith stronger. It's not accidental. It's not just you, right? It's not an excuse to help, to help God seem more palatable to people who are trying to figure God out. That's not what this is about. This is the way that God works, and it's the way that he's worked since the very beginning. You look at scripture in John chapter 16, Jesus himself said this. He said, here on this earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In Acts chapter 14, it says, then they, being Paul and Barnabas, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. They said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You see, the trials that we face, the, the things that we come across in life, they stir patience. Trials stir patience. And that word patience, it's not a, a passive word that we often associate it with. That word patience, it's, it's not just a spirit that sits back and, and puts up with the trials of life that, that is taking whatever comes. No, it's a spirit that stands up and faces life trials, that actively goes about conquering and overcoming them. When a trial confronts a person who is truly justified, when a trial confronts a person who has truly given themselves over to a personal relationship with Jesus, they are stirred to rise up and face the trials head on. They immediately set out to conquer them, to overcome them. They know that God is allowing the trials in order to teach them more and more patience. But see, patience... Trials stir patience, but patience stirs experience. This idea of the proven experience of gaining strength through the trials of life. The word is more accurately translated experience as character. It's translated as character. When a Christ follower endures the trials, when they come out of the trials on the other end, they are stronger than ever before. Their character is beginning to be proven. They, they know much more through the trials about the presence and about the strength of God through those trials. So trials stir patience. Patience stirs experience. And experience, it stirs hope. Experience stirs hope. Hope, it means to expect with confidence. To anticipate. It means to, to look and to long with surety. To desire with assurance. To rely on with certainty. To trust with the guarantee. To believe with the knowledge. 
but it's also confidence, knowledge, surety, assurance, certainty, a guarantee. When a Christ follower becomes stronger in character, they draw closer to God, and the closer that a person draws to God, the more they can hope in the glory of God. And I love how C.S. Lewis writes it. He writes this in his book, The Problem of Pain. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, if you're new to Christianity, maybe you're coming back to Christianity, maybe you're a skeptic, or maybe you're even a little bit cynical like I can be at times. Your response to this whole message, it may be, well, you know what? This is just the Christian way of trying to help God out because God's kind of backed himself into a corner. So how's he, how's he going to get out of this one? God, I mean, he's proclaimed himself to be a loving God, and here these bad things are happening. All these poor Christians here, they're, they're trying to get God out of the box that he's put himself in because how do you explain the bad things that happen to, to good people? And so maybe your thought is just this is the way that Christians explain away all the, try and, all the challenging stuff. They try to reconcile all the things that are going wrong in the world. But picture with me for a moment a diamond, right? How is a diamond formed? A diamond is formed under intense pressure. It's formed under intense heat. The diamond comes from these incredible, difficult circumstances the challenges that diamonds face are what bring the brilliance out of a diamond. So too for you and for me, our faith can be refined and strengthened through the challenging times, making us more radiant, making us more resilient. In life, the growth is in the stretch. We grow in life when we're stretched, when we're facing challenges, when we're facing trials, when we're facing hard times. It's in the moments when we are being stretched. Maybe it's your patience with a kid. Maybe it's your, your challenge in, in your finances. You're challenged in your health. When you are being stretched because you don't know what else to do, it's in those moments of stretch where the growth begins to happen. The growth, the development of your faith, it comes from choosing to see the goodness of God in the middle of the storm. It's staring right in the face of hardship and saying, my God is still good and I'm anchoring my faith in that. You see, true character shows most when life is hardest. True character shows most when life is the most challenging. Imagine with me for a moment that there's a young boy. He's out flying his kite in the park. It is a beautiful, sunny day, gentle breezes flowing, and this young boy is flying his kite, and there it is out in the sky, and he's so excited watching his kite just dance around magically up there in the sky. It's a picture-perfect day, if you will. But then all of a sudden, something happens. The wind changes, and no longer is it a gentle breeze. Now it's a stormy wind that is just pushing and moving this kite that was dancing around. The boy is struggling, challenging to get control of his kite. He's having such a hard time. He's trying desperately to gain control of it, and in just trying to gain control of the situation, all he's doing is making things worse. And then this wise old man passes by. He notices the struggle, and he comes up to the young boy, and he says this. He says, son, instead of fighting the wind, try embracing it. Adjust the angle of the kite string and let the wind take you on a new adventure. 
And the boy's hesitant. And not sure if he should try it, but he takes the chance. He begins to allow the, the wind to do its thing, and he adjusts the angle of the kite, and then something magical happens. This kite that he had been wrestling, this kite that had been so challenging for him, now this kite begins to soar to higher heights riding on these powerful gusts of wind, and the frustration that this boy felt now is turned to awe as he is excited seeing this kite reach new heights. In this illustration, the kite, it represents our lives. The wind, it symbolizes the difficult circumstances that we encounter. And just like that boy, we may initially resist the struggle against the challenges that come our way. But when we shift our perspective and we begin to embrace the challenges, we discover the hidden opportunities for growth and for experiences. The lesson is that when we learn to adjust our attitude, when we learn to embrace the upside of down, we can find strength, we can find resilience, we can find unexpected blessings in the midst of adversity. I love what Lisa Turkhurst writes in her book, Living Life on Purpose. She writes, yes, life is full of frustrations, disappointments, pain, and suffering. But no matter what we're facing, we have an attitude of joy that will allow us to find the good that God promises us is there. She says, if an oyster can make a pearl out of an irritating grain of sand, just think what you could do if in every situation you chose to rejoice. It really boils down to two beliefs for us. Two major beliefs. The reason that most people don't have sustainable hope is because they don't believe in the promise of the future or they don't believe in the promise maker. Imagine if we developed a mindset of rejoicing in the face of difficult circumstances. Now, that doesn't mean that we pretend that we enjoy those circumstances. It doesn't mean that, that they're going to be easy. But instead, we choose to focus on the potential for growth in the challenges and the adversity that we face. We choose to see the upside of the down situations. What would happen if we accepted that it's possible for joy to coexist with pain when we're grounded in our personal relationship with Jesus? What if we determined to, to press on? What if we determined to grow? What if we determined to see obstacles not as obstacles, but we determined to see the obstacles as opportunities for growth? What if we allowed ourselves to remember that our faith is not just theoretical, but our faith can manifest in tangible ways as we navigate the challenges of life? And I love how the prophet Habakkuk reminds us of this. He says in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, and even though the olive crop fails, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns have empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Amen. Church, may we not forget that God is up to something. That God is up to something in the big, in the pivotal circumstances of life. Tough times, they can actually pave the way for incredible growth if we approach those difficult times with the right mindset. Rather than perceiving them as punishment, 
or perceiving them as, as indications of being out of favor with God, we in turn begin to recognize that these challenges serve as tools for honing our character and instilling a profound sense of hope within us. Let us embrace the upside of down situations. Let us begin to see life through the eyes of Jesus. God, we ask that you give us a divine perspective. God, we come before you this morning. And we ask, God, that you would help us to see life differently. God, we pray that you would help us to begin to see life through your eyes. God, with the challenges we face, with the storms we face, with the difficulties we face, God, would they be seen as not just challenges, but they would be seen as opportunities to grow. God, I pray for whatever struggle your people are facing today. God, that you would open their eyes to see things differently. That you would open their eyes to see that you're working even when it might not seem like it. God, we thank you for the love that was poured out for us when you sent your son Jesus to this earth, to the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. God, you gave us the opportunity to have eternal hope, that we could have a confident hope of salvation because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, because of the love that was poured out for us. God, today we just say thank you. Thank you that we have a reason to view life differently, that we don't have to get bogged down, that we don't have to feel the weight, the burdens of life because of the love that you have for us. For we know, we have confidence. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't know what this peace is, this confidence is in the middle of trials, in the middle of pain, in the middle of struggles. Maybe today is that opportunity for you to experience that. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you need to give your life back to Jesus today. You've been wandering the wrong path. You've been looking for hope in the wrong places, trying to fill voids the wrong ways. If that's you this morning, Ready to say, Jesus, I need a different perspective on life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to simply just ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. And what we'll do is we'll repeat a prayer together. We'll repeat it line by line. Everybody in the room, we don't want to single you out. We don't want to embarrass you. But if that's you today, you're ready to give your life to Jesus. You're ready to begin to see life differently, to embrace the challenges and see them as opportunities for growth with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, I've made mistakes, and you still love me. You gave your life for me. Thank you for showing your love in a sacrificial way. Today, Jesus... I give my life to you. Help me see life through your eyes. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for grace. Today, Jesus, I receive new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we join in with the party in heaven, church?